Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm Warren Coughlin, founder of this podcast and business coach to ethical entrepreneurs who want to build a business that matters. In short, I help you end chaos and gain control over your business so that you predictably and reliably achieve the profits, the lifestyle, and the impact you strive for through a team you can trust without the stress and frustration. When you experience this, you're more confidently able to make the world or just your corner of it a bit of a better place. At The Spotlight, we believe that every entrepreneur has a unique message that can positively impact the world and inspire others to do the same. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back. This is Warren Coughlin, your host for the Business That Matters Spotlight. We're going to have a very, very interesting conversation today. I'm very excited to have with me Axel Meyerhofer. He is the founder of Ideal Wealth Grower and a a real estate investment business. Um, And we're going to get into a little bit about real estate investing, what some of the myths are around it, how to do it more simply, and the really interesting approach to how he helps people get into this game in a way that's very accessible pretty much for everybody. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to hear a little bit about the background. But so first, very much a warm welcome, Axel. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you, Warren. I'm I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So before we get into the actual real estate investing game, just tell us a little bit about you. How did you get into this? You didn't start out that way, right? You you're you're a bit of a military brat, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well. Um... You're right. I'm originally, and this is where some of the accent still comes from. I'm originally from Germany and um, went through training in the United States for uh, flight training. So that was my first taste of being in the U.S. for for more than just a vacation or something like that. And then went back to Germany and started to learn how to fly the planes and become an instructor and all of that. And then I learned that there is actually an exchange program between the German Air Force and the U.S. Air Force to get to know how each of the other system works. And so I basically became a U.S. Air Force member with all the fixings, right? Like literally, if there would have been a war, I would have gone to war. I had the the flight suits, the full equipment, the officer's MX card, everything, right? And wow. the, the director of operations. MX card. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the main perk, is it? Well, you know, you never know where you land if the plane says, I don't want to fly anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So, uh, and this is literally not not a joke. It actually happened quite a few times. Not that the planes constantly even broke, but I mean, sometimes you also want to go somewhere where the city says, "Hey, we want to have an air show. Can you guys come?" And you know, and then you go there and you stay. It's not necessarily a military facility, you know. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so that was. I became, and and I, even to the point that I got a VA loan for my first house in the US. <laughs> so just to tell you, it wasn't just like a visit. It was like full on. But in return, basically in exchange, uh, the assistant director of operations of the fighter wing that I went to uh, took my job. And at the time, I, I was the um, assistant commander of a flight school. So that's how this all started. Um, and then when I came over here, the whole deal was supposed to do it for about two, two and a half years, fly uh, the F-111 here. He would fly the tornadoes that I used to fly and do the job and get to know. And then I always say peace broke out. That was basically the German un- reunification. And out of that came the desire not to have quite as much flight noise in Europe anymore, which is very densely populated. And the German government and the U.S. government decided it would be good if we could do some of that training 
in a less populated area and they decided to do this in New Mexico and asked me of all people to say, can you be the senior program manager to bring this training center out of the ground at an existing US Air Force base? So my two years in the US became suddenly more like close to seven, right? And when our daughter, when we first came was seven years old, so she went through pretty much the majority of what normal people would say, you know, elementary school, middle school, beginning of high school, all here, language, no accent, doesn't sound like me at all, <laughs> any of that. And uh, so, yeah, and then ultimately I got so close in, in the German system or in the generally in the system, I think it's the same in the U.S. Air Force as well. When you get to the point where you can physically no longer make it through the flight um, physical um, that is required, which is a very rigorous and needs to be very rigorous, then you have to make a decision, do I want to stay in or not? And for me, I always said, even though that's my job now in a sense, but I always said I don't want to fly a desk, right? For at least not for the military. So I retired and then the question was, okay, are we going back to Europe or do we stay? I decided to stay. And in a long-winded way, getting back to your point, how do you get into real estate was as soon as I got recruited as an executive in a software company, my question I guess it's partially German and partially military to say, what are you guys doing for retirement? And the answer was pretty much, that's up to you. Right. And and especially because it was at the time when I joined a relatively small business with 50 people, they had no 401k or anything like that. And now you have to keep in mind, this was around 2001, 2003, right? And anybody who can remember would know, oh, that was around the dot-com craze and bust. Yes. I so got for me, when they said it's up to you, I'm, hmm, what options do I have? And all the news was full of stock market crashing, people losing millions and stuff like that, right? And I said, hmm, probably not that. What could, what else could I do? Nobody knew that crypto would ever exist, right? So that was exactly. an option. So that was between basically precious metals and real estate. And one thing that helped to push it in the direction of real estate was that during this career in the military, we got moved around quite a bit, pretty much every two or three years. And every so often um, we bought a house or we rented a house or we stayed on base. So we got a real flavor of how all these dynamics go. And it wasn't a totally foreign, never been done before thing, right? As a military officer, you really have... This, this experience of getting into a new location, having to find your way around, having to find out what are the good neighborhoods. A lot of what I nowadays try to get across to people in my mentoring as far as what does it mean when we talk about due diligence, that's basically been for 20, more than 20 years of my life. Every time we got relocated, yes, you have the attachment with the military for your job, but you're still in a new community, right? And yeah, figure out what are the neighborhoods, what are the prices, what are the rents, what do the houses cost, how is the market, all that kind of stuff. Right. And so then when did you, so when did you formally leave like doing real estate investing as sort of a way to help yourself retire to then becoming an expert where you're helping other people do it? Well, what actually happened over the years between that retirement from the military and actually founding Idea Wealth Grower. Um, I started building my own portfolio. I basically lived in a sense what I now call the investor journey myself, right? In in going through all these steps and learning, I attended seminars and all that kind of stuff. And 
what really I initially I had really no intention to make this kind of like an official business with mentoring and referral services and all of that. But what happens, and I'm sure Warren, that happens to you too. People ask you, so what's going on? What are you up to? You know, what are you doing? And because it fascinated me and, and I really saw the impact on what these investments actually did as far as getting to the point where we sooner or later was clear we would have the freedom to do to decide what do I want to do with my time. And I kept telling people about and initially it was, oh, what? You bought another house? Why would you buy <laughs> something like that? But then some of our friends became more like so you know, what is it actually doing? Is it, does it actually work was one of these questions. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Right. And so I kept telling stories and it started morphing into, you know, this really interesting, You more people should know about. It. I had no idea. Nobody ever said something, those kind of statements. And I initially had no intention, but then in 2019, we did a big, what's called a 1031 exchange, if, if you want to dive into Maybe that. I, I, yeah, but give a quick quick explanation. Yeah, the, the quickest thing is the US government tax code basically says, if you own a property for the purpose of letting other people live in it. So basically, the way they call it is, if you provide housing. Yes. Right? And we're not talking like a huge apartment complex, but even a single, single family house rented out is considered providing housing. If you do that and you sell that property, the government says, well, that means one unit of housing is potentially removed from the market. And we as the government are very interested that private individuals keep providing housing to the public. So if you're willing to exchange this property that you just sold for one or more similar properties and provide housing again, then we don't tax you on the on the profits or the gains that you made on your sale. That's mm. called a 1031 exchange, right? And so when I did that, I switched from one big house in California to eight little houses in the Midwest. And I didn't because I had studied it and really gotten into all the details and got a whole system set up and so forth. But people were like, what, you can do that? You know, and I said, I had all kinds of reasons, right? Lowering the risk, more cash flow, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, this kind of little community of friends kept saying, wow, this is just another different thing I never heard about you really should put something out there, right? And that was finally then in 2019. And I always felt I don't have the time to really build it out until Mr. and Mrs. Corona said, have a beer and take the time and <laughs> gave me the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so it was really that that got you into it as a business, was it? It was the shift to the coronavirus? Well, it got me into not just doing it when somebody said, can you help me? Where they basically came to me. But when I said, okay, well then if we would do it for real, we should have a YouTube channel. We should have a podcast. We should write articles on a regular basis. We should really create a structure for the mentoring system and stuff like that. Right. And what I found in, in the whole process, I really have to tell you is I wasn't aware that this was actually my passion. <laughs> <laughs> until I started doing it. And now Isn't that I'm, funny how that that that's a stopping right there. That's a great lesson for a lot of people, right? <laughs> is when you you got to pay attention to yeah. the whispers that you don't know about. Like starting something out of interest and then it does become a passion and you got to listen to that when that Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I mean right now I'm actually uh, at the point 
for for two reasons. The one I mentioned earlier, the, the passive income through all these years of investing is at a point where I really have the choice and the freedom. But the other thing is that freedom and choice really makes me now say, okay, I'm only going to do stuff that I'm really passionate about it and not Yes, I want to be fairly compensated, but that's not the main motivator anymore. The main motivator is I really want to help people and have fun doing it. And so, so all let's, let's stuff, talk about that a little bit, the helping yeah. people, because I, I imagine there's some people listening right now who are going, okay, that sounds all really great, but you know, I'm young, I don't have a lot of money, so real estate investing might be something you know way down the line. Right. Um, let's talk about some of the myths around this, because I, I, you know, I'm I'm reasonable. As I said to you before we got on the call, I know enough about this to be dangerous, so I wouldn't mentor anybody, but it's something I'm really, I'm intrigued by as well and have done some real estate investing myself. And there are a lot of myths around this. And one of this is you got to have a lot of money before you start the game. Um, can you address that just to, you know, talk to people who might be interested in this, but are feeling wary of it? Yeah. Well, I come to uh, at that from two angles, basically. The first one is why and how did this quote-unquote myth actually uh, come to be a myth? And without going too deep into the details, I think it's important to realize for anybody who is willing to go on Google and say the histori historic development of interest rates for mortgages. right? If you do that and you say, okay, well, how long should the window be? And I always say, make it. 15, 20, 25 years, whatever you feel comfortable with. What you will find, the longer the window you pick, you're starting literally out for a mortgage at 12%, 10%, 8%, stuff like that. right? And so it was clear that if you wanted to buy something, even for the purpose of providing housing, making an investment, there was always like, wow, if I have to finance a lot, there will be no cash flow because it's so expensive to get money. And that's where the myth started that you basically, if you wanted to make money out of it in a reasonable way, you had to pay the place uh, cash, mm -hmm. like 100,000 or 80,000, 150,000, whatever the price was, because money was expensive. Nobody ever went and said, hey, ding, 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 money isn't expensive anymore. So that's where the myth lives, even though money is cheap. Right. Because the, the cost, um, like I gave you an example of a $100,000 property that I just refinanced with escrow, meaning like with the uh, property taxes and uh, the insurance costs on it and paying off the mortgage, it's $500 a month. Everything in it, and I'm collecting $1,000 rent. It's a no-brainer, right, to, right? to borrow the money. So that also then means, okay, well, the other aspect is how much money do I really need? So if you remember 10, 15, 20 years ago, you basically were better off buying it in cash, which was a huge amount of money for anybody um, to accumulate that. Now you can basically borrow. That means you really only need 20% of the price. Yes, admittedly, an $80,000 house 10 years ago is probably $150,000 now. But if you say I only need 20%, that's only $30,000, not 80 and not 150,000. And it's much more likely that you can accumulate or already have somewhere in some form of, of savings or retirement plan, $30,000, right? And that's right around the number where you can say for a full property that I want to buy $30,000 and I can get into the, the top end of the game. But what's also important is the other myth is where does, when you call it a game, like you did, Warren, where does the game really start? 
And I said before we, we started the recording, for me, and this is really something I want to make a significant impact from you, for your audience and anybody I talk to, is to make people realize if, if you want to do something, it's becoming aware of what are all the moving parts and how well can I understand that before you feel comfortable to do it. And right. so over the years, just like I gave the example with the interest rates, what you also find if you go look is that getting into this game of real estate investment for the purpose of providing housing, right? So you're investing either in a single family residence, a duplex, a triplex, an apartment complex, but what comes at the lower end? And what has evolved in the last, I would say, six, seven years are options where you can do the same thing as if you were to buy a house, but for much lower entry points. And there are two new ones that I always want to make people aware of. The first one that came into existence about 15 years ago and has actually established itself are um, basically forms of syndication is the, the official term. But what it means is a company says, okay, we are buying an apartment complex, let's say for 10 million, and we are offering people slices of 50 or $100,000 a piece, or we are breaking it up into even smaller pieces. And the smallest that I've seen is $1,000. Oh, wow. And the more common one is $5,000. So yes, in an apartment complex that costs $10 million, $5 million is like maybe one or two stones at one corner of the building. But what you do in that is basically participating in the performance of the building. The thing that was, and so basically- you could and by say, performance, you mean rent or capital? Yeah, the rent income or when the building gets sold and there's a profit, you get your share of the profit and every month you, or every quarter, most of the time, you get the share of, of, the, of the profits in in operating, basically operating profits. Right. So after they, they paid all the maintenance and the staff and the, um, the funding, the loans and stuff like that, the cash flow, just as if you were to buy your house and you have cash flow, like I said earlier, three, four, five hundred dollars a month, your little portion out of that team, basically out of this, this kind of almost like a stock, so to speak, in, in this complex would come to your account. So that's a thousand to five thousand. But now, just about in the last year or two, there's even a lower entry option that I really love that came together from people who wanted to look into what can we do with software. Mm -hmm. And this might sound a little weird for people, but if you really look at it, if you look at a single family residence anywhere in Canada or anywhere in the world or in the United States, then as long as you have somebody who manages it, you have tenants and you have an owner, that's reasonably easy to manage. If you take that residence now and you break that little house into, let's say, 2,000 pieces, then you have potentially up to 2,000 owners. Right. Then it becomes a totally different uh, ball game in management. And so smart people said that can be similar to just having one owner if we can create software who takes care of everything that needs to happen for all these owners. So that's why it's called AI in that investment approach. But the cool thing is now, and I'm doing this myself, I tested it. I actually have like four little ownership properties, but what is now available for, and I use this is for this awareness and impact that we talked about. 
for people to say, and I say for somebody who enrolls in our uh, mentoring program, let's look at the property, analyze this just as if you were to buy the whole thing. And you can start doing the same process that we will later go through when we really buy whole properties for you at an entry price for 50 bucks. Wow. $50 in, in an AI investment gets you a little tiny piece of a single family home in Kansas City or in Cleveland or in, in I don't know, um, somewhere in Florida, in Miami or whatever. Right. So, and it is, that's the important thing why I'm so fascinated about it is it helps people to raise that level of awareness, lower that feeling of risk, because we feel risk when we do something that we're not familiar with, and right. learning how to do the due diligence on exactly the thing, whether you get just a $50 piece of it or ultimately put $30,000 in to buy a $150,000 property. Now, if somebody does that, so if they do the, the $50 or $100 yeah. in just to, you know, table stakes to start to play, when do they start to see, because part, part of that risk mitigation thing is you get the, you get the reward, right? So I put in $50, how long until I start to see some money out of that, that I go, oh, this is actually something that can work. I want to, I want to up my level now because I can see that it's going to produce results. Yeah. Um, well, from the moment that you put your $50 in, which means you have done the due diligence, I have shown you what you're looking for because there are good ones and bad ones property-wise yeah. that you may or may not want to put your $50 in. But assuming you have decided this is property A on Main Street in Baltimore and I buy $50 worth of it now, you see your first rent payment in six weeks latest. Is that right? Yeah. And how long would that would it take for that $50 to be recouped? Well, that's a, a view that is a little unusual in real estate investing, but uh, for the $50, oh, um, hmm. So yeah, that's that recouped is the wrong word. When, that, when, that would when probably I... take you quite a few years because your portion of the rent is, you know, maybe on $50, you get maybe 35 cents a month or something. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, so yeah. it would be taking quite a while until you, but that's not really the point. The point is to say you making in, income on your $50. And what you really want to learn is why this property, what makes this a good investment? That's the due diligence upfront, then yeah. making the investment on such a small scale and seeing the process, right? Because you also get in your, you don't just get your portion of the rent. If there is any repair, for example, you see that too, because it impacts all the owners on the cash flow at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. Or if, if something breaks or all these things that happen with the whole house that you own also happen with a place that is divided up in 2000 little pieces. Yep. The purpose like what about, what about um, like I, I'm familiar with joint ventures, like using other people's money yeah. Yeah, yeah, to yeah, get yeah. yourself into the, right the quote game again yeah. as well. Yeah. The thing about that's called syndication. Um, the thing oh, about syndication. It, okay. Yeah. The thing okay. that, uh, that, well, if you use other people's money to buy a project and manage a project and, and rent out the project and so forth. Well, there's a, there's a model. I'm not sure if it's the same, but in Canada where you'd like simple model is use friends and family money in a way, or just, you know, get someone else to put in the money, but then you do all the math. So there's a split. Where yeah, exactly. That's syndication. There's something called the investor and something called the general partner or partners. Right. 
So the partners are basically responsible for property management, getting the property, renovating the property, making all the accounting stuff and so forth. And they get a certain fee and that fee is added to all the other costs. And as part owner in that syndication, you're basically getting for one, some of the operating profit, but most people do it because they say, okay, the goal is to take a dilapidated property, buy it as a syndicate or partnership, you could call it, get it all up and running, get it up to market rate rents and stuff like that, make it all nice again, and then put it on the market three to five years later and double the value. Right. Right. And so then everybody who is in there, both the managers or the general manager team, as well as the people who actually invested into it, all participate in both the rent income over time, plus the big jackpot, hopefully at the end when it sells. So right. both so, of these models are kind of why I was I was so interested in talking to you because there is because of that myth that it's something that only wealthy people can do. I've I've believed for a long time that real estate investing is well any kind of investing really. I always say there's like three kinds of investment, right? There's real estate, there's businesses, and there's paper. Um, paper can be franchises, can be stocks and bonds, can be yeah, 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 exactly stuff like that. Um, but in any one of those, there's ways of entering at a pretty low cost level that everybody can benefit from. And what, what I love about what you do is it's the education piece, right? Like so many people think investing is something so complicated and so exclusionary that they don't even bother to try. And part of why I was excited to talk to you is to like share with people that idea that you can, you can start this initiative with not a lot of money, but gaining the education on how to do it with less money and then start building over time. And so if you look at you know, I, I have this saying that most people overestimate what they can do in the short run and underestimate what they can do in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Your teaching totally, is a long-term yeah. perspective on how to achieve freedom within 10 years. And 10 yeah, years exactly. is like a long time to achieve freedom. Yeah, okay. Let me let me get to that in a minute. Yeah, poke at that. I, I, totally, I totally agree with that. The, the thing that I wanted to say, and you're very right and, and, and very correct about that is, what I, as a bigger overarching theme, try to get people to understand is the lower the entry point that you are willing to accept for yourself to get into what you call the game, Warren. Um, <laughs> the less. I'm sorry, I hope that isn't uh, an inappropriate. Oh, no, that's totally cool. And most people would call it that probably. Um, the less control you have. So what basically happens is a balancing act, if you imagine a scale where you say, if I start with $50 increments, I have virtually no control. Even at 1,000, when you go to like a fundraise or something, you basically have no control. Or if you join a syndication, it can be tens of, of thousands, even 50,000, and you still have very little control. When you ultimately really want control, then you're getting transitioning from very little to no control to pretty much full control is when you own the whole place, right? And now that money is cheap, like I said earlier, that point is not when you have enough cash to buy the whole house, the $100,000, $150,000 house, but when you have 20% of the cash needed. That's why this arch of, okay, I may start out with $50 or $100 just to educate myself and use that as my working example, you may or may not ever do the thousand to five thousand dollar fundraise syndication kind of thing, and then you get sooner or later to your thirty thousand dollars and say, okay, and now I buy the first property and I have full control. And what that means is not only you control where you get the money from, 
if, for example, which can happen, I always try to avoid it because I only refer our clients to people I work with where I know how property management goes, but it's not a requirement. Anybody can pick any property if they feel confident it's the right one, but that might lead to property management that sucks. Sorry for my French, right? So, um, well, if that happens in a syndicate or in the $50 deal, you can say it sucks, but it doesn't make any difference because the people who own like legally have basically control, like the partners, like we mentioned earlier, they make the decisions for the yep. project. If you own the property and property management sucks, you are in full control to say, well, then I get somebody else. Or if they say, okay, we think we can get you $800 in rent. And if we accept that as a rent level for a $120,000 house, then uh, it's only going to be empty for a week. And you being fully controlled, you own the place. You say, I want 1100 even if it takes two months. Now, why would I teach you to do that? Because th that two months time, you get so much faster back because you're having actual cash flow, real usable cash flow versus break even. It's yep. totally worth it. But property management wouldn't look at it that way because they have other motivations, right? And so forth and so, so forth. So control is what ultimately is guiding Little control, little entry money, more control or lots of control or all of the control is when you really own the place. And that's kind of the arch the journey that I want people to get to. The other thing that you mentioned, I have always, it's not a counter argument, it's more a realization point. If anybody who's listening right now is, let's say, 30, 32, 38, 40, And I want to say, you never have to do anything where you exchange time for money anymore when you're 40, 42, 45, 48, 50. Never after that. You don't have to wait until you're 65 or 67 or whatever the government comes up with next year when they finally let you go. You can be done at 40 or 45. And if you start even earlier, you might be done in your 30s. That's right. And it's not just for you. It's for you and all the other generations, your kids and their kids and their kids. Yeah, because those assets just remain. Yeah, but the, the assets, I mean, if you just look at anybody, you can look right now and say, okay, what did happen to, to if you have grandparents, if you are uh, um, like in your 20s, 30s, early 40s, and you look at your grandparents, hopefully still around, you ask them, what did houses cost when you were young? If you just imagine they would have made a real effort to get one small house at the time at what the prices were every year or every other year for 10 yep. years, then your parents and you would have never had to work. That's right. Intergenerational wealth. Right. Uh, one, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, because um, again, there's you know a lot of the listeners to this, to this podcast, it's around ethical approaches to business or you know making a positive impact. And there is that again, another myth or a misrepresentation <laughs> or a stereotype of the sort of slumlord. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things in my real estate investing, I, I have a philosophy, like make sure the tenants are treated very well. So they want to stay. Um, how, how does that, how do you approach that kind of tenant relations model? Because some people are like, yeah, I don't mind the real estate investing, but I don't want to be that slumlord that is treats people poorly and that kind of thing. So how, how do you teach people on that? So the first thing I would say is our strategy has a component in it that is the abbreviation is OOS, 
and for Canadians, it's OOC. Um, and that stands for out of state or out of country. Because when, like I said earlier, when the focus is on, I want to find properties, like we're talking the real full house that I want to own as an investment property that performs well, then you run into the issue, like I'm living in the San Diego area, I could look all day long for the next 10 years and I won't find one that performs well. It just doesn't exist because the prices versus the rent are completely out of whack. Yeah, I'm in Toronto where the real estate prices. Yeah, Toronto or, or Montreal or any place like that or Vancouver, it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Which then for me meant, okay, but that doesn't mean you can't do investing. It just to your question of, you know, how do I treat the tenants? It becomes much, 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 much more important, not just to get the right property, but also get the right property management. So why is then another abbreviation in our name in the strategy is TK in that sense for turnkey. So there is a psychological dynamic. I have no research about it. I'm just claiming and anybody can try to prove me wrong that there is a difference between somebody buying a property, you and me or anybody else who is listening as an investor and turning it over to a property management company whose sole thing is property management, which is a business. Mm -hmm. versus turnkey provider, which is an organization who finds, as I always describe it, the ugly duckling in a good neighborhood, purchase it for as cheap as possible, then renovates it all the way, everything, like electric, plumbing, water heater, air conditioning, windows, doors, lighting fixtures, new kitchen, bathroom, you name it, full reno. And then sells it to me. But, and here comes the important thing, they are also the ones who manage it after I bought it. Right. And that psychological dynamic to say, I fixed it and I know in two months I have to actually manage it. I have to use some French again. You have to be a complete idiot if you fix it bad, just to then have to fit to basically later manage the bad fixing. That's right. Right. If you take that same example and you bought a property and you just give it to property management and something is wrong and you say, well, I just bought it. It's supposed to be recently renovated property management. So I can tell you anything. We weren't involved in that. It needs to be fixed. It costs 500 bucks and boom, one month cash flow just went out the window. Right. Right. Now, besides the fact that when you buy it from the turnkey provider, you also buy it with a warranty because you would always say, hey, Warren, you renovated it three months ago. I mean, you'd be proud of your work, I'm sure. So for the first year, I don't have to expect any maintenance. Am I right? And you would say, yeah, you're right, because I don't suck in the work I do. Right. <laughs> so, so that's, that's kind of a little bit um, plain language explanation, what that dynamic actually means and why it's there. And so that helps because now you have somebody who is proud of the work for the property and what they made out of it. They know all the ins and outs because they renovated it. That's why they're managing it. And then, you know, it's also important. The other psychological dynamic is I always say you don't really need more than three locations or three turnkeys to work with, which also then means you don't want to have one property here and then second there and the second and you end up with 10 different property management companies. Right. But you want to build little clusters, like four or five here, four or five there and so forth. So what does that mean? Right. If you had, Warren, I don't know, maybe you do, have four cars and you bring them all to the same dealership all the time for repairs and maintenance and upgrade. And every time you want to get a new one, you get one from that dealership to replace one of your other four. It just develops a different relationship than a one-off. Yep. 
right? And so building these clusters with trustworthy turnkey providers, which what is the long end of the story is selectivity is the really important thing. It's hard to find good ones. There's property managers, and I know it's a professional, and it's a hard job. I don't want to ding it in any way, but it's hard from far away to say, are there any good? Right. Right. So the same is to some extent true with turnkey providers as well. But when a turnkey provider has a good reputation and the people in the area that are looking for rental housing want to live in a house that they recently renovated because you're moving basically in a brand new house. Who wouldn't want that for a fair yeah. rent, right? And so an organization like that that renovates like 100 houses a year over the years builds a reputation where the community says, well, if you went to rent something for a fair price with a good company that also knows how to fix this stuff and comes and shows up next day when you call them, well, then that's the kind of turnkey provider you want to work with. Right. That's and why I only work with three or four tenants then, right? Yeah. And the tenants are happy. Now, and then you do little things like last year, for example, we, we did a deal for all the properties I participated as an owner to clean out all the gutters and replace all the uh, air conditioning filters right around Christmas. You know, that was a little bit extra cost for me, but it give, gave us an opportunity to say, this is not something that is broken. We just do it because we know that you don't, want to go out there with on a ladder and get the leaves out of the gutters and stuff like that. And so we took that upon ourselves to make that for my five properties with that turnkey provider, but they did that for all their properties, for any owner that was willing to participate. And on that scale, it only costs 50 bucks a house. Oh, that's great. Right. But it shows the tenant. Yes, I normally deal with property management, but I know there is an owner in the background who cares for the property. Nice. Now, so in your mentoring program, how, do, how does it work? So let's talk about like, so if people are actually interested in getting in this game, I, you know, again, this is why I was looking forward to having you on there. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an exercise that I think people are, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think people are foolish to jump into on their own without having some kind of mentorship. There's, there's just a lot of things that can go wrong. Um, and so if people, like, I think real estate given the way you do it, it, it is accessible to everybody and to learn about it is a good thing and to have mentorship to get yourself into it. So it's safer and you mitigate the risk is the right way to do it. So in your model, is it like pure training? Is it guiding people on their first transactions? Is it fee for service? Uh, or is it, you know, commission or participation when you help people? Like what's your, what's your model for people who want to get into this? Yeah, I kind of try to keep it simple. Basically, we have two options. Somebody can say, I feel I have, what did you say? I'm kind of dangerous, you know? So if you feel that you're more on <laughs> I the- I know enough to be dangerous, yeah. I know enough to be dangerous side, then I always say, then you should go with what we call package one, which is a seven months mentoring program where I basically, most of what we discussed today, I teach you the approach. We identify, you know, if the strategy and approach is right for you. Uh, we look at what's your time freedom point number, how long is the time horizon, what kind of properties, because we have a whole list of different things that you could do. And we build basically a portfolio together and get you then, as soon as you have all that in place within that six, seven months period, get you connected to my, the ones that I buy from, that I get insurance from, that I get management from and so forth in these different areas. And then I basically chaperone you along that you normally get at least 
one investment completely done, like a real house board or duplex board or something, maybe two, depending on how much money we're actually dealing with. Or the other alternative is what I call the lifetime mentoring program. And that is basically to say, okay, we have a plan that we call the investor journey and we take you from start to finish and you stick with us. Basically, if you want to, as long as we both live, we're going to be together and I'm always going to be there because, as I said, the market is also changing. This $50 option only exists for 18 months now. Right. Or there is a new thing, a sponsor of our podcast who has actually developed a software where all your documents get uploaded. And uh, when you say, I'm ready for my next investment, and the lender says, give me everything but the blood samples, I need every document you ever had, you just say, let me download this from Folio, and boop, it's all there. And you can upload every month when you get your mortgage statements, bank statements, stuff, you just hold your phone over it, it loads it into your account. And when anybody says, I want to see the stuff so that I can do underwriting, you just dump it off, you know, no problem. It's a software that is brand new, right? But it's something wow. where somebody found one of the issues that we're all dealing with as soon as you have more than one or two properties is the amount of paper that they want to to give you the money gets higher and higher and higher, right? So all those kind of right relationships. So it's one thing in the six to seven months program to get you to at least experience one full on investment. And in the lifetime, it's basically the whole journey until you get to your time freedom point. Right on. So we're running out of time. I just have a few, I call them the rapid fire questions Okay. Uh, that I, I try to get business owners who come on here to talk about. What's one decision or action that most helped you get where you are? Um, to look into what do successful people do with their money. And I found most, almost every successful person, actors or bankers or whatever they are, even if they tell other people to do differently, almost all of them have real estate. <laughs> if you had to do it over again, what would you change? I would probably never sell anything again. <laughs> never sell anything? Yeah. Ah, good. Uh, on the days I enjoy most, this is what I'm doing. Um, well, I'm doing things like what we're doing or helping somebody to nail down their, their first deal. That's always the most exciting when we actually can say, yeah, we got it exactly how we wanted it. Um, and then the rest of the day, this would be like maybe three hours and the rest of the day, go do some gardening or, you know, sit in the sun and read a book, stuff like that. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, you know, so you're having a business, one aspect of running a business that you feel you've yet to master. Uh, forming a team that covers all bases, like all the aspects, you know, the marketing. I have a great team that covers a lot of the bases, but there are still some holes. So what's the problem you'd most like to solve in your business? Um, basically, get a good balance of people understanding everything that they need to understand so they can work independently. Because I love it when I can delegate and the person is self-motivated to learn the stuff that's needed so that when i say what can we do better then we get meaningful feedback yep uh okay the last two are, are kind of personal uh what's one personal quality that you most had to improve or overcome to hit your success well i had to learn to accommodate every personality style out there mm-hmm 
I started out with the typical shortest distance from A to B, German, super direct, in your face, shut up and do it kind of way. And I mean, the military didn't help in that context. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I hopefully I can say I became a much friendlier person. <laughs> you seem to be. That's, that's certainly my take. And what's one personal quality that most contributed to your success? So no false humility. Like what's the one quality you have that you say is, is the driver of your success? Uh, I would say it's a combination of persistence and discipline. And, and they're not the same. It, you know, nope. discipline, just basically following the, 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 the blueprint, if you want, but following it over and over and over again, even if you don't immediately see the outcome. Right on. Those are great. And what's your, what's your one biggest learning through this journey? It's amazing how much misinformation exists in this world. <laughs> isn't that the truth? That, that, that's a statement that applies in a whole lot of contexts, isn't it? Right, right. right on. Well, so where can people reach you? Where can they find out about your mentorship program or any other resources? Yeah, the have? easiest is, I mean, you can just go, go on Google and put in Idea Wealth Grower or you can go ideawealthgrower.com, literally come to the website. The first thing that pops up is schedule a call quickly followed by sign up for the news. <laughs> that's right. So, forth. so there is a description on the mentoring programs. And, and that's actually what I recommend, right? I mean, not, what we do is not necessarily the exact right thing for everybody. So I always say, let's have a call that's not part of anything that doesn't cost you anything. Get to know each other a little bit and see if what we do and what I recommend and what I can show you, I have done myself. Because all we do is based on what I do. And I'm constantly... Uh, adding new things that fall into the boundaries of the strategy, test them out myself. And if they work, then I add them to the strategy and to the program. So that let's do that first, get to know each other, see if what we do is right for you. And then we can decide where do we start the journey and when do we start the journey. Right on. So again, that's ideal wealth grower, all one word, idealwealthgrower.com. Axel, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks awesome, for being here. Thank you so much again for having me. My pleasure. Cheers. Hi, it's Warren Coughlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Business That Matters Spotlight. If you're a successful, values-driven entrepreneur who makes a difference while making a profit and you'd like to be on this program, please visit warrencoughlin.com slash podcast slash apply. That's Warren, C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N.com slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, would you do us a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag business that matters spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, warrencoglin.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, facebook.com slash a business that matters, and Instagram at warren.coglin. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.